and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 434. Yeah, tonight we are talking about uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV series, as well as the uh, new Marvel trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yes, yes we are. For some reason, I wanted to say, before I checked, for some reason I thought this episode was 435. I don't know why it was, (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) Maybe it's because we've been doing so many lately. But then I went back and I checked and oh no, it's only 434. <laughs> All right, well, which one do you want to go with first? Uh, let's do the main. Let's do the main course first. What were your overall th- thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Either in context to, if you, I, I know I want to talk about it in relation to WandaVision just at some point. So I just don't want to cr- to box you into how you want to tackle that question so if you want if you want to juxtapose it with wanda vision you can if you just want to deal with your th- initial thoughts entirely on on this series that's fine but i was curious what your overall thoughts were about what we got in the tone and, and everything uh, i mean i really i i enjoyed it um i think it gave us you know that marvel feel back um i felt a little um you know a little a little uh, you know obviously a lot of marvel uh in it but uh, kind of even felt some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. vibes from it, so it felt like a nice sort of crossover um, yeah, in a way. I, um, in ter- I guess in terms of um, in terms of the uh, f- you know, WandaVision, I guess uh, I, it, I, I think it really proved the point that I had. Uh, I don't know if I made this when we were talking about WandaVision. I can't remember if I did or not that it's almost better that WandaVision came out first because if Wanda, if this came out first, people would be like, it, it, the, the feel would be what people expect from the MCU at this point. Uh, and when they finally got that back to get something as strange as WandaVision, they might have been a little more off-put by it. Um, but because people were so starved for Marvel stuff, they were more accepting of WandaVision. Uh, so it was almost better that it came out first. Um, I still really feel that way. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I just, I really, I really, uh, enjoyed this, uh, this series. I felt, I felt like, uh, it ended, I don't know, uh, a little Robert Venditti ish, a little, you know, it, it was, it was fun. I don't, I don't, uh, that, that sounds, see, now I wish I hadn't said that, but I would just, it was, it was fine. It was a good ending. It was okay. It just didn't really feel like a, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say a Marvel ending, but it just didn't feel quite as, I don't know what I'm trying to say there. Maybe, maybe through the course of talking about it, we'll figure it out, but um, anticlimactic a little. 
Yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, a little. Uh, I just, it, I just wasn't really feeling the ending as much um, on that one. But you know, it was, it was fine. Uh, it was a, it was a, a, a good series. It felt Marvel. I really enjoyed Anthony Mackie. Uh, and, and Sebastian Stan, I thought they did a great job, um, you know, carrying that stuff over and, and talking about the weight of these responsibilities and what it means and, and so on and so forth. I just, I thought it was a good movie or sorry, a, a good, f- uh, TV series. And I guess it could have made a good movie too. Um, um, I don't know. I keep saying with these series, I wish I could see them all, you know, kind of back to back without any breaks or anything like that, no, or any credits or any of that stuff, just to sort of get a cinematic uh, feel for it, like a cin- cinematic view option. And I think this really puts you in that, in that mindset, but um, no, I, 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 I definitely enjoyed it. I think, well, I mean, we did talk about the whole one division versus timing wise that it probably worked in its favor coming out first. Yeah. Uh, that, that, Cause we did that. Yes. It, so, I mean, people, obviously, there were some people that were unhappy with the tone of WandaVision and that the first two episodes were slow, which Marvel, of course, knew, like we talked about, which is why they released the first three for screeners, because they knew the first two would have gotten the same reaction out of reviewers as the fans reacted to it. Plus, they dumped the first two on the first night, and so they knew people would – you got the two most dry episodes out of the way quick, and then after that, it just kept building towards the crescendo. Uh, yes, it probably worked in Marvel's favor – having one division come out first because yes, we were all starved for Marvel for MCU content. So it made people, people would have been more willing to jump ship and probably been more vocal against the, what the hell are we getting here? If this had come out first. So I think once again, not by plan, but by luck of the draw, Marvel caught, you know, caught a break here, which seems to be their MO for the most part. I mean, eventually that's not going to work, but at the moment, you know, they keep, you know, they keep coming up and hitting it getting a big hit with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth, no matter what. So I do agree touching on using your points as a, um, like a jumping on point for me. I do agree. The ending was the last episode was a bit anticlimactic. It was a bit, it was a bit rushed in certain parts, certain parts of it were rushed. Uh, It was, it was really odd too, from a, if you look at the series overall, it certainly was uneven from a pacing perspective. There were some episodes that were really action packed and there were some episodes that there was very little that happened at all. Obviously, the first, what, the first episode, Sam and Bucky weren't together at all. You have episode five where all the action, the big action sequence between Sam, Bucky and John Walker was all in the first 10 minutes of the episode. And that pretty much was the only real action sequence and a consequence in that episode. So then rolling into the final episode, you know, the main th- the main threats you know, were, were dealt with with a lot with a decent amount of time left in that episode. Uh, so that, that was that was, you know, it was an interesting it was an interesting choice. I do think that it also let's talk about before I delve into the stuff I wasn't as big a fan of. Let's talk about stuff I did enjoy. I did enjoy the character development, especially clearly everybody loves Zemo. Zemo was, you know. Daniel Brühl's Zemo was the breakout star of this of this six episode series. Almost everybody liked getting more of the exploration of, of Zemo and and getting to see what makes him tick. So I think he you know his addition on this, which on the surface did make sense when you first knew he was coming back, you figured he was going to be like the main a- antagonist. The reality was he played the role that he played in this was very good, and you know. And we'll talk about this too. You know, you know, we haven't seen the last of him. Period. 
So that was good. But the character development with Sam and Bucky was really good. Because when you really think about it, we really haven't had character development with Bucky since if we had any at all, we haven't had any since the first Avenger, which was 10 years ago. Because we barely have seen him and he's been either Winter Soldier or Winter Soldier-esque pretty much every single time that we saw him. And he barely had any time on, on the screen in Infinity War and Endgame when he was already deprogrammed. Which was a nice flashback scene, too, to the moment when he actually was when he realized he was completely uh, deprogrammed by Shuri. Um, so the character development there was good. Some of the stuff I some of the stuff I didn't like that they seem to force a lot of things in this, like the John, like John Walker is like at the end of episode four. We're supposed to like everybody in quotes. You're supposed to hate John Walker for what he did and getting caught on cam, you know, killing somebody with cap shield. And then by episode six, we're all supposed to be okay that John Walker's fighting alongside Bucky and, and, and doing the right thing. And, and don't get me wrong. John Walker is always, is, you know, from a comics perspective too, is supposed to be a complex character. He's not a, he's more like an anti-hero. He's not really a 100% hero. He's certainly not a villain. He's not Steve Rogers, but no one's Steve, which of course, Brun, uh, Zemo points out beautifully about the the super soldier formula and and the serum and the way it affects people that pretty much has never affected anybody the way it's affected Steve, <laughs> which goes back to the origin of it with Erskine, the idea that it magnifies whatever you have inside of you. So if you're a, a good person, it makes you great. And if you're, a, you know, an evil person, it just takes, you know, it takes you to like uh, the, like the red, red skull kind of level. And if most people are not on either extreme, so whatever your dominant qualities are, are going to be brought out. So I think, I just think they rushed a lot of stuff and I do think they really, really walk. I'll, I'm going to let you talk before we get into any political uh, like things that came out in this, in this show. But I just think in general, they walked, but this will lead into it. The idea of they walked a lot, a lot of lines in this series. And I think they walked a lot with the idea that making everybody too many people seem like they were gray, that there was a, which is ironic when I'm going to say this, but people, but you people will understand what I mean, considering the nature of the show that on some levels, you know, some, sometimes people are black and white and they're not they're not all gray and they seem to really want to make you think that almost everybody was not really a hero or not really a villain. Zemo was gray. Walker was gray. They really in the beginning, they wanted you to think Carly was gray because of the you know conceptually because of what she was fighting for, though, as the series went on, she became less and less, I think, relatable, which may completely have been by, be by design. But. There's, they kind of keep echoing the idea that you're supposed to at least sympathize and empathize with the cause, but yet she's gone to such an extreme, it's kind of hard to. But I think there's a lot of, they really do that, and even Sharon to a certain extent, which is a whole other topic, if Sharon is really, you know, Sharon Sharon, not Scroll Sharon, that the idea that there's so many people that are shades of gray in this, and it just seems, which is a concept that we see a lot of that being put out there that, there's some people I think that really believe that like the majority of people in the world are like kind of like uh like 48% good and 48% bad and it's that like final like 4% that determines which way you go, and that's true for some people but I don't think it's literally not so black and white in, in that area. Some people are just good and some people aren't, and there's all and that's one of the things I picked I, I noticed that it's a lot of, a lot of grayness and and I think. And I'm, so I'm going to let you come back on and then, then we'll talk into some of the obviously the political overtones raised in the show too, uh, regarding walking lines and things like that. I mean, it may be gray, but it kind of has to be when you deal with the themes that they're dealing with, because 
uh, you know, at the end, especially given with uh, what what uh, what he says to the senator uh, about Carrie and the flag smashers and their point and everything, uh, you know, and you don't want to see what this, you know, two, version 2.0 will be. And then you also have to throw in the idea that you're dealing with themes like, you know, what's it what's it mean to serve your country? Does it mean to just uh, blindly follow orders? Uh, is that truly serving your country? Uh, or, or is it, you know, doing it to serve the ideals that you believe your country stand for? Does that sometimes mean going against the orders you're given? Um, the idea of, you know, did I earn this sort of a thing? Uh, there's, there's, there's that theme involved in this quite a lot. Um, some self-doubt, I guess, on the, uh, on, on the part of Falcon um, and obviously some self-doubt and deprecation happening on the part of Bucky as well. So uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot to play with here. It's just, but the, but the themes they're dealing with are, are, uh, and are going to be very uh, shades of gray because there's really no clean cut answer to those sorts of questions. I mean, I, I see a lot of that, but I just, I think if you want, I think if you just, if you do too much, shading of gray then i think that in a way it almost defeats the purpose at on occasion or at times because not everything is gray just like not everything is black and white not everything is gray uh i understand i mean conceptually with the idea you know which was like which is a cool idea of how governments deal with all these people that are brought back all of a sudden after after the blip and after the snap and, the, and when the blip occurs and everybody comes back and you have to deal with all these you know, millions of people that are brought that are brought back and then you got to you got to take care of them and you got to find a place for them. And it, so it raised I mean, so there's 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 interest there's interesting there's interesting questions there. But like you look at Carly, I mean, I don't think she had her moments when I think she was relatable, but I don't think she was particularly likable. And pretty much from the point, she, you know, she killed Lamar going forward. She was pretty much off the deep end because she didn't really care about who, how many people she had to kill you know, to, to, to help her cause. And again, the end justifying the means thing is sometimes it's, a, it's necessary, but oftentimes probably most of the time, it's a really dangerous way to view, view the world that the ends justify the means no matter what. And that's, you know, you kind of get back, you kind of end up going down that road of the Nietzsche quota, you know, those who hunt monsters have to be careful, you know, paraphrasing because, you know, when you, when you look long into the abyss, the abyss also looks into you that you have to be careful not to become what you're trying to fight against. Uh, so I get I mean, I get there had to be gray, but I I think when you look at the characters being gray and then they have and and then some of the obviously with some of the, the political overtones to the show and, you know, with Sam and Isaiah and things like that, that there was a whole lot of gray. Now, mind you, I think overall the show did what it walked the line often, very often teetering on the teetering on that line. And for some people, they didn't teeter. They, they went over the line. For me, I think for the most part, they successfully navigated walking that line, but there certainly was a whole lot of walking of it across the board. And they got it, it really got me concerned to the point where I really thought I mean, I correction. I didn't really think they were going to do it. I was afraid they really were going to do something to kind of like really crap on Cap's legacy because of shit that was really had nothing to do with him, like stuff related to Isaiah and things like that, stuff that he, he would have no, no, no knowledge of and certainly wasn't active for you know he was he was on ice when any of that was going down but i thought they were really really gonna it seemed like they were getting dangerously close to walking the line and crapping on 
you know, what, you know, Cap's legacy and, and even the way they had Sam approach it or dealing with it. So, but I like, but balancing that out, I like the fact that you, you really get a clear, you really understand why the shield in particular means a lot to Bucky because of what it represents, not just because it was Steve's, but because of who Steve was. And also, you know, so the, the, that legacy that I do, I do like why he was so protective of it and why he gave Sam such a hard time about giving it up so freely when obviously Steve picked him for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. The stuff with Isaiah, I thought was, now this is, now I was curious about your opinion on this because obviously when we first meet Isaiah, you kind of get, and you get the brief little, um, I mean, obviously the backstory with him fighting Bucky and snapping off half his metallic arm was kind of, was kind of cool. But when you get the first, when you get the first background about what happened to him, I think you're certainly supposed to essentially take from that, that the government used them, spit them out, and then they just threw him in jail because they didn't know what else to do with them. I.e. implying that probably if it wasn't because he was black, it was it was easier to do because he was black. Now, I thought it was interesting in episode five when you actually get the, the real story that led led to him being, you know, the government doing what they did. That that, again, dealing with the idea of things not being necessarily so black and white. But that's and again, this is how I interpret it. I don't know if this is one of those examples of maybe more of. You know, the, the showrunners thought this actually will make our point seem stronger of how the government mistreated him or and it may not have. And that may not have like stuck the landing on that with everybody, because to me, when you forget the real backstory on what happened with him, when the other super soldiers like him that survived the experiment were captured, as governments often do, as we've seen in every spy movie known to man, that the government you know makes it clear that, hey, you get caught, we're going to disavow you. <laughs> any knowledge of you that they knew that these once they got, which would be a hell of a story to figure out how they capture, how they were able to capture all these super soldiers at one time. Cause you think that'd be pretty hard to do that. The government decided, well, they were too, they did the Palpatine Dooku thing that they were too dangerous to be left alive. So they were planning on bombing the POW camp where they were just to make sure that either by vo- volunteering it by torture or just by experimenting on them, that the enemy couldn't get any, anything out of them basically because from the super soldier uh, project or formula. And obviously Isaiah found out about that, broke out of where he was and and went single-handedly rescued them. And he got quote unquote rewarded for that by being thrown in jail. I thought that, I thought that was an interesting story because obviously the whole experimenting on him when he was in prison was, you know, you can't justify that on any level whatsoever, but it was interesting because to me that they added a little more depth to what happened with him. And and while it was it's clearly is wrong, you want, to me, if you look at it from the step back and look at it from the government's perspective, obviously, they probably knew long before this happened that Bradley was not he was not Steve Rogers from the perspective of the Steve Rogers that that, we, that existed in World War Two, who was like you said, a, what you know, about following orders. What is how does that fit into the scheme of? of you know being a hero and and being a soldier and things like that but steve clearly for the most part was an a follow order kind of guy once he became captain america during the original his original phase of being captain america i'm sure they realized early on that and understandably so you know based on his background too but bradley was not that guy he was not going to be one to just blindly do stuff so the fact that he did what he did and went against orders and potentially created a lot more problems for them especially if it didn't work if he did, maybe maybe that factored in too. Even if he if he tried that and it failed, and they and and he got captured too. The idea that 
you can understand why they would see him as a loose cannon, why he was dangerous and they wouldn't know what to do with him. They couldn't trust him to do what to be on the same page as them. Now, I just thought it was interesting because, again, to me, if you're trying to the first if you're trying to make the point that the government was 100 percent, they treated him 100 percent like shit. I don't know if that one if that completely reinforces that idea or adds again the magic word for the episode adds a little more gray into it that it may not have been the easiest decision in the world for them potentially either because he obviously was valuable for the, to them and the, and clearly he was the best of the group so I I, I was just curious about like what what your thoughts were because to me I don't I didn't think that helped their cause they may not have heard it. But I don't think it hurt their cause when they were trying to lay it on, lay on the idea of how mistreated Bradley was uh, from serving his country. He clearly was mistreated, but I don't know when you get the full details of that story if it makes it makes a stronger case for it or not. Can you rephrase it? I'm not really sure what you're trying to say. Like I'm, I'm listening to you. I, 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 do, I, do you think when we got the full details of what led them to capturing to, to them throwing Bradley in jail? Uh huh. Do you think that reinforces the point they seemingly made when we first met Bradley that the government more or less just spit him up, used him, used him, spit him up, spit him out, and then got rid of him mostly because of his color of his skin, but because they didn't know what else to do with him. Do you think by giving us the actual story that led to them doing that, do you think that adds more uh, shades of gray to his story as, a, or do you think it just reinforces how 100% shitty the government treated him? I mean, I think it, I think it would re. I think it reinforces uh, how shitty the government treated him. I think so. I think the. I think the way that he got treated by by the government. So the the, the first story that we got from the, the official, you know, the, the the story that we got from Isaiah himself. I think that makes you know this is a man who's gone through the sh- through the shit. Uh, this is a man who is. Uh, damaged uh, and embittered and so on and so forth. I think that is completely justified by everything that he experienced. And I think, I think there, there, there's, there's some equivalency to be made there because if you, if you view them treating him that way because of the color of his skin, he could, uh, you know, they, he, he would also see, the the treatment that he received uh, at the hands of the government because he disobeyed orders or because he basically because I either way what 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 the the viewpoint that he is seeing on behalf of the government is that he's expendable either way not, not that not just he is expendable but that uh, just soldiers in general or the people who volunteered for the experiment or whatever he views he he believes that the government or just white people in general or whatever you what whatever you're meant to believe there views his himself and then the others who are in the super soldier program or in his unit with him as expendable but you know that's all the same thing because the country views uh, the country or those people in general what like what did he expect basically that that he would be treated any differently um it's hard for me to it's hard for me to put it directly in into coherent words because obviously i'm not a black man so i i'm just trying to i'm trying to i'm trying to interpret isaiah's point there uh in in equating those two things to being you know locked away because he was a black super soldier versus being locked away because he essentially disobeyed orders 
And the and the main reason and one of the reasons why I wanted to ask see because when I watched it when I watched that episode, my first thought was, hey, this is kind of interesting because maybe Mar- Marvel's trying to add a little more instead of just making it seem like oh they had no more use for him, they threw him in jail, and mostly they threw him in jail because he was black. They, they gave you actually a story that led to him being incarcerated. And to me, my initial reaction was, okay, so this is kind of Marvel kind of ba- trying to maybe walk it back a little bit from making it all of all about race. And then I started thinking, well, some people could think it interpreted that way, but that may not necessarily have been what they, what Marvel's intent was in, in throwing that stuff into the episode. That, that's what led me to ask that, that question. Plus there's also the, the, the X factor in this. And this is another reason why I thought about it is because clearly Isaiah Bradley is an, un, he's an unreliable narrator from the perspective that he has a dog in this fight. So while we, everything he's telling us may be absolutely true, there may be stuff that's well, let's let's look at it from this point of view. Everything he's telling us could 100 percent be true and there could be nothing else to it. But he has a dog in the fight. So we don't know if that's the case. We don't know if he's leaving out stuff in the story that's valid. We don't know if his emotion isn't coming into it. And this and, and it's the story is being tainted a certain way. So the reason why I thought that was interesting was because, again, to me, like you when you get the details, you don't. You don't necessarily know if it was a 100 percent easy decision for the government to say, oh, let's just screw the other super soldiers. That might not have been an easy decision for multiple reasons, even if it's just because look at all these valuable assets. You know, these are the only people that survived these experiments. And now we're going to have to pretty much blow them all, blow them all to hell. So it may not have been anything because they had any value of them as as human beings, but just from an operative perspective. But it may not have been the easiest decision in the world to just do that. Oh, we don't care because they're black, which, you know, so I, I think it adds, it does add a layer. I mean, obviously what they were doing to him when, after they threw him in jail was a different story. I mean, that's that you can just like, you know, you can't really justify that even like whatever they were going to do to the other super soldiers that, uh, that the enemy was going to do or what they were afraid they were going to do by experimenting on them to try to, even if it was to try to reverse engineer the super soldier serum. But I just thought it was interesting that if they had just left that story the way I know that part of the reason why they said it, why they did that was probably to try to juxtapose that with what Steve did in First Avenger, even though technically Steve wasn't really a government operative when he did that. You know, he wasn't really he still was just, oh, like funny, funny man, Captain America. He wasn't actually considered you know a real soldier at that point by the government. But the idea that, you know, I think they're trying they were trying to bookend what Steve did in what Steve did and the repercussions of that in winter so in the original Captain America with that juxtaposing it. And I, and, and it's true, but I, but I just thought it was also interesting in getting that there was a little more because of the, the details of that story that it certainly was not as black and white as, Oh, okay. We've gotten all we can out of this guy and we don't know what to do with him. It's like, Oh, he's black. We can throw him in jail, which is not entirely what they said in the, for the first time you meet Isaiah, but certainly it's kind of implied that, that if not, that that wasn't the reason that certainly was it, it. It certainly made it easier to do that at the very least. And then you get the full story and it's like, OK, you may not agree with it, but the government probably did have a did see him as a problem after him liter- figuratively and literally going off the reservation the way he did and potentially risking a lot of other things in the process of doing it that they may have not really known what to do with him. I think so. I think the. That part of the problem there is I think that the government has always viewed the super soldier pro, uh, program uh, historically as expendable uh, people, the people that were involved in it. Because 
you know, you 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 kind of touched on it when you mentioned Steve, but if you really look at the first Captain America uh, film, they're just looking to appease uh, was Erskine, right? That's his name. Yes. Yeah, they're just looking to appease Erskine, who developed this this serum, and he gets to choose who who takes it. Now, basically, what they're looking for is proof of concept. The idea is once Steve is, you know, you know, uh, enhanced and everything, then they can run tests and make sure that he is a fit soldier, and then they can roll out the program to other super soldiers. But Erskine is killed and his formula dies with him. That's the, the, the problem that the government ends up having to deal with. So even in a way, uh, Steve was what they, they didn't want to end up with Steve in the first place. Steve was not their, their end game. He, Steve is just what they ended up being stuck with. Uh, I think the, the, the interesting parallel there, uh, between Steve and Isaiah is, is when it comes to what they did, because what Isaiah did is almost exactly what Steve did in going to rescue the the captured soldiers from uh, the Red Skull's camp, because what's his name was already writing condolence letters. They had already written those soldiers off. They were saying, you know, this is a, we're not sending anybody in there. The, you know, those we're not going to go get those POWs where Steve then disobeyed orders, went to get them, rescued them all and brought them back. But in this case, the only difference being the, the government apparently initiated an attack to I mean, the, the, the people that that Isaiah was rescuing were actual super soldiers. And so the, they wanted to uh, get rid of any evidence or any potential for the enemy to get their hands on the formula or anything like that. So uh, I think, I think that portion is something that can't be left out of the equation is because for the most part, other than the difference I just stated, what Steve did and what Isaiah did are almost exactly the same thing. Yes. For the most part, again, like I said, other than the fact that clearly when Isaiah was a gov, not by choice, uh, he may have been a soldier by choice, but he certainly was not a volunteer in the super soldier formula of the program by choice, nor was he being an operative once he survived the experiment by choice. But the point was, he still was a super soldier and the government was using him as an asset, kind of like how uh, the Soviet Union and then Hydra was using uh, Winter Soldier. But Steve at the time was when he did that was not really Captain America in the heroic sense he was captain america still as the that was like the first thing that he did to be the captain america that he became but he was but he wasn't one way or the other the government really didn't have any they had control over him but they didn't have the control over him that he they they would have had if he was already an active combatant and and he really wasn't at the time that was he was just sick of sick of being on the sidelines that he's sick of being used, you know, to to raise money and be a propaganda tool. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to do what he could do. So, but yeah, but that's it. But I'm sure that's the reason. But at the end of the day, that's the reason why they 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 had that story be so similar. I'm sure because it 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 does kind of juxtapose with Steve's. But uh, but I think again, there I think there's a little more to there's it the way the story was being told, especially considering again Isaiah's not because he is so emotional about it and he, and because of the different background and everything doesn't mean his, his telling of the story is inaccurate, but he does make him, it makes him certainly an, it does not make him a unbiased 
narrator. He has a dog in the fight, so it makes you wonder if that it colors his interpretation a little bit. But how old is Isaiah supposed to be? When did, when did he I don't remember in the show how old he's supposed to be. Obviously, what was that in the, in the it was in the fifties? Was it the it was in the fifties, right? That he was doing the stuff that he was doing. So I mean, I guess so. So I mean, then then you have to realize that this is a um a black man who has lived uh lived through some systemic racism. Uh, and so he had the 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 what happened to him as a super soldier and then, you know, kind of lived beyond beyond his life expectancy, I guess, maybe um, to to see, you know, to to have everything that's happened in the country and things like that. Uh, just I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but just. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. So. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not saying that I think that. What how the government treated him was, you know, was fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, they clearly wasn't. But I thought but I thought when they went into the more more of the details, from my perspective, I thought that was less. But no pun intended again, by making it less black and white about what led led them to doing what they did with him, that it also weakened the argument that the that it was done certainly racially as a mo- as the main motivation. Why? As opposed to we have this loose cannon that we really can't do anything with and we can't control. So we're going to have to take him off the playing field because we don't, because we, we can't trust him to, we can't trust him to be left out there either to, to his own devices or, nor can we trust him to be an operative anymore. So we don't have many choices what to do with him. So right. I, I think there, I think there is an element of that, which again, doesn't say mean what they did was right. But if you put yourself in the government shoes and you have this, it's kind of, it's kind of like, if you look at the incredible Hulk. If uh, if Blonsky, if the super soldier experiments with Blonsky had had 100 percent work and we know he was not the most balanced guy, even before he became the abomination that, you know, if if he, be, you know, if he really became like a Captain America, like like soldier, he might have been a very difficult, not in the beginning, probably, but he could very well have gotten to the part where he was a loose cannon and just decided to do what he want. Then what would the government have to do They'd either have to kill him? Or they have to make sure they, they they locked them up somewhere. So it's that same concept that sometimes, you know, again, the Revenge of the Sith thing. You, you, he's too dangerous to be left alive. But except they did leave, you know, they technically did leave Isaiah alive. They just incarcerated him. Uh, not just not just out of the kindness of their hearts, because they still wanted to experiment on him to figure out why the hell he was able to survive the experiment. So it, it, it was, you know, the, it wasn't altruistic altruistic for them to do that it was self-serving but the point still is it's the same concept they needed to do something with him because he was too dangerous from their perspective right or wrong that was their perspective yeah makes sense so what do you think of sharon that was another thing that seemed if if sharon is really sharon some of the stuff i mean again this this show is supposed to take place like six months i think after after endgame so and sharon was supposedly blip uh, snapped away so how the hell does she have this empire that she built in six months that she's able to do all this? Um, I, mean, I mean, yes, she could have been working on it before she was snapped away because you assume that she's been on the outs ever since Civil War. So I guess that might be the explanation. But it just seemed like – but still, she would, would have been gone for – she would the point is she would have been gone for five years before she came back. So even if she started building something, it, would, it wouldn't be in her control anymore. Uh, so wasn't there – it was around the death of Captain America in the comics, right? Sharon was was uh, was the one who killed Cap. I believe that is correct. 
in in the comics, and then she was like under the control of Red Skull or and Faust, um, wasn't it? Wasn't it Faust too? I don't remember. I think it was Faust. But because of Sharon's history of being controlled by others in the comics, it makes me think that there's a possibility that she's not uh, not herself there. And then, of course, you have the scroll options, which is, I think, I think she's also had a history in the comics with scrolls too. Um, so forgive me guys. I don't, I don't read Marvel as fervently as I do with uh, DC, but I seem to remember her. She, I know for sure she had mind control stuff around the time of the death of cap. Cause that all happened. What? Right after civil war. Um, yeah. 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 So, and I, I definitely read, so I, I, I for sure read civil war. So yeah, I just, um, I don't know. It, it, it makes me think she's either, you know, there's a scroll, some, some, something involving the scrolls or something involving mind control because I just, I don't know. I just, I don't want Sharon to go down that road. If, you know, even, even if, uh, I just, I don't like the idea of, of her being set up to be like a jilted lover. You know what I mean? Like, she's, yeah, he's like, like, like they're trying to make it cause she's a good character. Uh, in in a way, she's a legacy character. What she means to the the Carter family, what she means to, um, you know, the constancy of service and uh, and trust and honor. Like she's one of the good ones from Shield. You know what I mean? Like she 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 means a lot in the MCU, uh, despite how you know quote unquote little she's appeared. She's she she has a role and she has a she has uh, some meaning to her character. So I, I don't want them to turn her into simply just a jilted lover. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Uh, that might not be obviously, I'm sure that would not be the explanation we get for why she's, if it's again, it's really Sharon. And I know some people say, Oh, that'd be a cop out. You know, if she was a scroll, but Hey, the reality is we know they're doing a variation. It's not good. It seemingly isn't going to be, you know, it's not it's not a movie. It's a TV show. So it's not it's going to have probably less going to be less involved and maybe have less major impl- implications than it normally would. But we know they're doing the Secret Invasion TV show. So the only way that's going to work is if some people we don't think are scrolls are going to be scrolls or else what's the point? Yeah. So so I mean, so somebody's going to have to be a scroll that, we're, that, that we don't want to be or else there's no point in doing this. So Sharon on the surface would be a good candidate. For multiple reasons, some of the things we talked about, it's like, yeah, poor building this organization. And even if she was building it after Civil War, well, the point was she was gone for five years because if the if the real Sharon Carter got got snapped away. So that meant unless somebody was unless she faked it, unless she was like that, like the uh, like the like the teacher's wife in uh, Far From Home who faked being snapped away, that the reality is that no matter what she built, she was gone for five years. How is she going to get it back in six months? So. And but if the only thing that would point to it maybe being true is you go back to when we first met Sharon Carter. She's always been literally playing both sides. You know, she was kind of she was you know, she was setting Steve up because she was supposed to set Steve up as being a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. to keep an eye on him and things like. So it's not exactly in her not it's not exactly not in her nature to kind of be duplicitous and and things like that. Uh I was a little, I was disappointed in that. Yes, they clearly they clearly were setting her up to be the power broker uh, for a while. I mean, I think that was what 
I mean, not because not because it not because it leaked out or anything, but I think most people thought she was the power break broker based on what we saw in the show. So I don't think that was a big that was a big surprise at all. It was I mean, it's still kind of weird. She put herself in a position to get shot in the final episode. You think she would have been more prepared for that <laughs> and not to get shot? Uh, but I thought that I don't know. It's it's intriguing. It's intriguing what they're gonna what they're gonna do with her. But again, it just but yeah, that whole last episode. Now we, I wish we had more. I wish that we had a better or more after credit scenes. I know supposedly, and I guess we'll know for sure once we see Black Widow, that originally there was supposed to be a scene where Florence Pugh's character Yelena goes to see uh, Zemo at the raft to basically start recruiting him for the Thunderbolts. And they uh, and supposedly they opted not to do that since our character technically hasn't been introduced in the MCU yet. They decided to save that for for the Black Widow movie, maybe an after credit scene in the Black Widow movie, as opposed to sticking it here. But originally was supposed to be here since Black Widow was supposed to be out like like four like at least you know four to six months before uh, Cap and well now it's Cap and the Winter Soldier, but <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out. So I mean. I did like the show. And yes, you were, you were going back to what you said earlier that 100%, this is very much like your traditional Marvel show slash movie, exactly what you would expect it. So there's lots of cool things in it. The action sequences were really good. I did like getting Sam's family. That was, and some background on that. Uh, I mean, I know some can make the case that, you know, the, the role they played in this ep- in, in the show, other than to show him being grounded and to have that moment when Carly threatens his sister, that really it wasn't that super relative relevant to what was going on. But I, I didn't have a big issue with it getting some base because we haven't got a whole lot of background on Sam either, other than his military history. We don't, we never knew much about Sam. So I obviously, uh, the, the, the ties to Wakanda were cool in this uh but but the door melage that was that was that was nice not unexpected when Z, you know when zemo was loose i thought it was weird that they turned him over to the raft though i thought that was kind of weird you think figured they would want to incarcerate him himself or themselves that they wanted to make sure he wasn't getting out maybe maybe no maybe nobody knows steve broke everybody out from the raft but you would think what kind of all people would know that hey it's not impossible <laughs> yeah i Let's see. I'm just trying to think of some of the other stuff that I thought was interesting. Um, I like that we got some focus with Sam and his family, the stuff that happened there, the stuff that was going on with the bank and and all that stuff uh, with the boat and and uh, just kind of I, I I like that they that um, the community came together to help them out before he became Captain America. I thought that was cool. That because if if it would have happened after, you would have been like, is the community coming together for him or are they coming together because he's Cap? Um, now, he's already a hero in his own right. And right. obviously very respected in his community and things like that. So uh, but I, I do like that, you know, that it really it really helped drive home that everybody came together for the family and for what the family means to the community and things like that. I, I did like um the stuff with with Bucky, I do remember sitting. Was it the first episode when you could tell Bucky was struggling with telling that old man? Yes, I uh, think, uh, yeah, I think that was the first episode. Uh, I I I out loud said to nobody in particular because nobody was in the room with me when I was first watching that first episode. I was like, Bucky, you don't don't you fucking do it, don't you fucking do it. Like I was just sitting there saying it to out loud to myself in the room because I was like. <laughs> 
this old man's been having lunch with this guy. He's like his best friend. And all of a sudden you're going to ruin this old guy's life just to make yourself feel better. Like I was, I was all kinds of pissed at Bucky. Uh, I was like, don't you do it just to make yourself feel better. Um, but I, I, I like that they held off on that to make it make sense, uh, to make it a little less selfish, um, to make it, you know, about, about uh, giving them the man some, some closure rather than about making Bucky feel better. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, the con- like the conversation between Sam and Bucky were good as the show went on. The idea that you go back to Sam, you know, Sam's uh, dealing with, you know, the PTSD and everything he was doing in back when we first met him in, in uh, winter soldier, that it, it is appropriate that he would be able that he would be, once he and Bucky got past some of the uh, animosity that was left over uh, just from him being different people, seemingly on different paths and have in a way having different relationships with, with Steve and things like that and the legacy thereof, that they that once they were able to relate as people that he would try to that he would understand. Now, he would understand what Bucky's going through on many levels because of what he's dealt with, it, not just himself, but with helping others. But he would but he would be able to maybe make Bucky see stuff that. You know, he really couldn't or wasn't mm-hmm. ready to see up to that point. So I do I do like the idea of, yeah, that that when, she, when he tells Bucky that basically, you know, that he was that he was avenging is what he was doing, like going after some of the bad people that, that took advantage of him and manipulated him. Like and then and then just trying to apologize to try to get, like you said, to try to make yourself feel better, but not necessarily bringing closure to, to the people that, you know, who, who you've hurt inadvertently. So I think doing that change, I think that I think that really I did like that. I think their their relationship was one of the highlights, clearly, of the show, like it was supposed to be. Yeah, 100 percent. I I I really I really enjoyed it. I I I for for a moment, I wasn't cool with them doing the whole, uh, you know, redemptive arc sort of that wasn't really redemptive, but the the arc with um, U.S. agent. Uh, but at the same time, I, I know that us agent isn't necessarily the, uh, isn't supposed to be the out and out bad guy. He, I think in, in the comics, he always was supposed to be that sort of gray, that gray area you, you spoke about, right? Yeah. So he's not, he's not supposed to be just cut and dry bad guy. Um, it makes me wonder what, what the hell, what's her name's role is. No, Contessa there, Val. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess she was, another, she was another character that I think, and we, maybe she will show up in, in Black Widow, but I think she was another character that rumor, the rumor has that she was supposed to premiere in that, in that movie. Uh, but obviously she's going to have a role, whether her role is going to be with the Thunderbolts, whether her role is going to be with the dark, with the dark Avengers or their variations that they, they do or whatever, whatever version of that they do that I think there's, um, I think that will be interesting to see. That was, I think, much like WandaVision, I think this did suffer from a lot, a lot of. We're so spoiled with MCU stuff and having big moments and big cameos and big after credit scenes that I think that it's hurting the TV shows because our expectations are maybe are too high, which is not all their fault. But I think it, this this was another one. You know, this was another series that I think that we really didn't get anything. We you know we didn't get any big you know, cameo or anything in, you know, the, the final, the final episode 
and even Julia Louis Dreyfus's appearance in the second with this last two episodes that was that was cool and I know you know in in all and then the rumors were that that there were rumors that her character was going to be the one that was going to be the surprise you know the surprise Marvel character that you know is does exist in the comic books but is going to be you know premiere for the first time in Falcon and the Winter Soldier yeah I I just it has potential. I think it's, I I agree with you about Walker. Like I mentioned, I think they were really all over the map about Walker. It's like, they want one, they want you to think, okay, he can, you know, he's, you know, he's an acceptable alternative here. Then all of a sudden we're supposed to hate him. And then all of a sudden, no. And now we're supposed to just automatically accept that, that, I mean, it's, it's up, it's in the eye of the beholder, of course, but it's not like he literally just grabbed somebody off the street who was walking by and he killed them. I mean, he had, he had, they were not 100% innocent, you know, they were not 100% innocent in the overall scheme of what was going on with the flag smashers. It, it is, was that the person that killed Lamar? No, but it's not, but it's not like that person you know, had no involvement in the, in, in the flag smashers at all. Uh, so I guess that's part of how we can look, you know, we can look the other way, at least a little bit about it. But I do think they were really all over the map with how they wanted us to feel about John Walker. And I think that for in a six, only in a six episode run, I think that did that unevenness, especially with that character, I think didn't really resonate for me. I mean, there's also almost, uh, and I hate to, I hate to say it, but there's, there, I think there's also some, almost some parallels, uh, between Walker's story and Isaiah's story. Uh, you know, you made me, now you're throwing me away. That sort of a thing. Yeah, that's that that is that is true, even though they didn't make they clearly didn't make him a super soldier. He chose that. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But I know what you mean. It's like the yes, another they used him up and spit him out too, because it's like they they knew what he was, they knew who he was, and then when they, when he needed them, they tossed him to the wolves. Yeah, hundred percent. So yes, I, I agree. I think there's I agree. There's a certain element of of that that you know you can't really you can't really deny there. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah. Okay. Anything else about uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Um. Obviously. Well, the one what the one thing we found out pretty much on I think it was on Friday that which of course they they obviously knew this was on the on the horizon anyway that the idea that that now you know a Cap Four starring Sam and Bucky is supposed to be in the early stages of obviously, you know, it, it's the wheels are in motion for that for that movie to to be produced. Uh, obviously, there's no time frame yet and there's no release date, but it is a project that is going to be worked on, whether obviously we have no idea whether that, that will involve Chris Evans, if Chris Evans really did sign his contract, which a lot of people still believe he absolutely did. But we will see. But that is but the idea that we will have a Captain America for with focusing on uh, Sam's version of Captain America along with Bucky. Question is when the hell they would do that. They're so far backlogged in movies. So far backlogged. We don't even have a release date for Guardians of the Galaxy yet. And yet they, and and or Fantastic Four or X-Men and and so it's really hard to imagine this coming out anytime within like the next four years. <laughs> maybe four. Maybe maybe in the maybe in the four year, you know, but they have so many things. But it just like there's but it's interesting we heard that talk more about getting a second season of the show when you would think it'd be so much easier for now just to do a second season of the show. Yeah. I mean, this show this show absolutely perfectly would lend itself to a second season why while it was perfectly clear that WandaVision was always supposed to be a one-off for logical reasons, but 
I, I, I did, I did enjoy it. It's obviously completely different tonally than WandaVision, but I, but I, they've been very, very, very successful so far. And I think, I think Marvel continue. I'm sure Loki will be just as interesting. Just kind of sucks. We have to wait till June to get Loki, but, and then we don't even have a date for the next one. Right. We don't even know what the, whether it's what, or, or is that what if is what if still supposed to come out during the summer? I don't remember. I'm honestly not sure. I don't remember anymore, but we, but we certainly don't have a, we certainly do not have a release date for Hawkeye yet. They have not given us a release date on that, even though I think that's still supposed to be this year. Didn't but they wrap filming on that? They have may we have. Talked about, have we talked about on air the, the change in the Black Widow in terms of they have finally decided what to do with it? Uh, I don't know if we talked about the, the, their, the, their dual release schedule for Black Widow of being on, on Disney Plus where you have to pay the premium fee to watch it on Disney Plus or you're going to be able to – What's the release date for that? The fifth, the seventh, July, whatever it is. I could probably. I mean, let's just. I know. I, I'm pretty sure it's one of. Let's just move ahead on my calendar, and, and once I get to uh, July, we probably can figure it out. It looks. It's probably must be the probably, must be the ninth. I'm guessing it's the ninth that they're releasing it on a Friday, uh, unless unless it's a Wednesday release, but that wouldn't make any. Well, unless the. But either way, that when it comes out in in the the, the uh, second well the first full week of July. That yeah, it's gonna have a dual release, kind of like uh, what Mulan did, even though Mulan didn't really play in many places here in the U.S. But by July, most theater chains are gonna be open again. Uh, I'm not sure what the capacity will be yet. So yeah, um, it's pretty set, set in stone now. Black Widow will come out, and there's really no reason the way things are trending to think that it shouldn't come out. But that'll be that'll be the first MCU movie we've had since uh, Far Far From Home. Like two years ago, almost two years to the date, right? Because because I know Far From Home was a July release too. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so I guess so. What's what? So the release date of Black Widow is what? I'm guessing it's the ninth if it's coming out on a if it's coming out on a Friday. Uh, let's see what it says. If I yes, July ninth. Okay, so, so then two months later we have Shang Chi. Yes, hmm. and the Eternals is still supposed. The Eternals is still supposed to be November. Or did they move that again? I no longer remember because they it's moved still supposed shit. Supposed to be November. Yeah, which we still haven't seen the damn teaser trailer for. Uh, don't get me wrong, I understand why they finally gave us one for Shang Chi because it's coming out first. But yeah. the point still is, it's still ridiculous that we haven't seen anything, anything from that movie. Uh, but so speaking of Shang Chi, yes, go ahead. You give your th- you give your thoughts too because you're much more you're much more looking forward to this project or have always been looking forward to this project more than more than moi yeah i mean uh, i'm not familiar with the the cast here i'm not familiar with any of that so i'm not really um uh, I'm, i don't really have anything positive or negative that i'm bringing to the film from that uh, uh nor do i have anything uh connected to the character in terms of the comics um but you know, I told I've told this story I think once or twice on the air, but you know, I've I've obviously I've told the story a billion times of my father taking me to go see, or rather renting all the uh, Godzilla movies as a kid and watching it with me in an order. Uh, I do remember. So there's a a, a place here in Austin. Uh, well, I say here in Austin. I've moved to Kyle now, just outside of Austin. But um, let's say here in Austin, that is um, uh, called the Paramount Theater. It's one of those old downtown theaters that lots of cities have. Uh, like the Majestic in San Antonio and things like that. But they, they do summer movies and things like that. And I remember 
my dad took me to see like Monty Python and the Holy Grail over there and things like that. But one of the things he we saw was like a marathon of Once Upon a Time in China. Um, I don't remember if we saw all three. Uh, I we did we definitely saw more than one, so it was probably like a double feature of one and two. Uh, and uh, I you know my dad really likes uh, kung fu, you know sort of. Uh, karate movies i know he likes like jackie chan's drunken master and you know he like he he can like the silly ones or he can like the whatever but i do remember you know just the the seriousness of and the the the, the seriousness of the plot and the quality of the the fighting and stuff like that in once upon a time in china that was a, a great flick have you ever seen that movie i do not believe so once upon a time once upon a time in china is is really really good uh, even with the, the fighting and everything really good uh, fight choreography and stuff in there. Um, I've been sort of jonesing for a, a well done, you know, Kung Fu movie uh, for a while. Um, I what's uh was it crouching tiger, hidden dragon that sort of changed the effects for a movie for, you know, Kung Fu or karate fights in movies. Yeah. That kind of started with the, the wire stuff that carried over into the matrix and, and yeah. everything else. I never actually saw that movie, by the way. Um, so, but it seems like you know, in watching this trailer, there's a little bit of that influence in there. But there's a lot of that just actual fight, you know, just just focusing on fight choreography as opposed to special effects or stuff like that. I mean, it's a Marvel movie, you know, and there's going to be some mystical, magical sort of shit that's going to go go down in this thing. So obviously, there's going to be special effects, but there's actually I, I felt in this trailer a good balance of seeing what you know, the the CGI budget is going towards versus also just seeing straight up fight sequences, uh, which I thought was really fun and cool looking. Um, I'm I'm excited to see it. I'm obviously excited to see, of course, the mystery of, you know, uh, the real Mandarin in the MCU based on, you know, hints of the Mandarin that we've seen in Iron Man and uh, Iron Man 3 and, and things like that. And I think... Um, there's some potential there. I think, you know, I've, I've heard online uh, for this to cross over with, um, oh, forgive me. What's the character's name from Dr. Strange that was pissed at Strange at the end? Mordo, Baron Mordo. Yeah, there's some potential for him to be involved, perhaps. Um, there's some, obviously, there's potential for us to tie uh, this property in with uh, uh, another, you know, fighting uh, kung fu type property that we've already seen from the MCU, which is Iron Fist. Um I think they probably want to make Shang-Chi his own thing and maybe want to distance themselves from Iron Fist. Uh, so I don't think that's as likely, but it still would be cool to see that tie in some way, shape or form. It'd be one of the, you know, probably first significant MCU film ties into the Netflix uh, universe that they built. So it would be cool to see either way. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see where they, where they go with it. Honestly. Uh, I, I don't think, the problem I have with this trailer is you don't really get a sense of story from it. Uh, I don't necessarily know, you know, obviously there's a whole, I train, you know, I trained you to be like me sort of a thing. Uh, you're my protege. You're supposed to take over. Uh, you know, you're supposed to take my role over when I'm gone. And now you're refusing sort of a thing, but I still don't really get a sense of, you know, anything other than sort of the basic beat. Um, I, I would like the next trailer to really give me a picture of the story I'm going to be told. Um, but I, I thought it was cool looking. Um, 
there were some moments in it that felt a little out of place, but and again, this is supposed to be a teaser, but guys, it's like a two minute. F- I'm so, I'm so done with them calling these things teasers anymore. They, they put, they put together a, a trailer. It's a fucking trailer. A teaser is like a few seconds to get you all hyped for the trailer or something like the, a two minute thing with dialogue and action sequences and finished effects. And that, that is not a teaser. Um, but whatever. Um, I just, uh, I, I think the next trailer that I want to see, uh, I want to see more f- fight choreography without, you know, giving away the, giving away the, the whole farm there. Uh, I want, and I want to see more of what the story is, but, um, no, I'm, I'm excited. I, th- I mean, it's probably a teaser in the sense that, again, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really give you much of the, it gives you bare bones about, the, about relationships. Doesn't tell you much about the plot other than the fact that obviously Shang Chi's going his own way, that kind of thing. And he's been doing his own thing for like the past five years. And he's just not wrapped up in, wanting to follow in these dark footsteps but there was nothing in the trip i mean other than the aqua the aquafina stuff i don't get the appeal of her i think she's annoying her voice i think is extremely annoying um i know she's kind of been the drug of the moment the past few years but i don't i don't really get the appeal of her i know that's just personal so i if you like her that's great but for me that's certainly not a plus in this it looks like it's a marvel kung fu movie and I, 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 like you said, I mean, I know your background with that. So I knew this was even when they first announced this movie, that this was up your alley. I, I have met, I have memories and very, I mean, not strong attachments, but I do have an attachment to Shang-Chi from the perspective that uh, I remember him in, especially in the seventies when that character was probably the biggest that it would ever was, you know, the master of Kung Fu and crossing over with other characters in the in uh the more of a universe but so i know who the character is but it doesn't this project never had a huge appeal to me i'm sure it'll be fine i'm sure it's a marvel movie i'm sure it'll be entertaining i'm definitely going to see it but did this movie make me want to see it more than when when i first heard about it no not really i mean honestly the one thing the one thing that i found interesting about this because i'm watching the trailer and it's like there's one like one person in the trailer who like really stood out to me. And it's like it's like, wow, he looks familiar. And then I went back and I that's why I wanted to IMDB it like right after the trailer. And the guy who the guy who's playing the Razor Fist character look is is Florian Montenu or whatever or Matanu, and he's the one who played Victor Drago in Creed Two. And I was able to recognize that by just looking at it, like, oh, that's who I think it is. And it's like, yes, that's who it is. That's about the most in intriguing thing about from that i got out of out of this trailer i will be curious to see how it ties into the mandarin and the ten rings and and everything else it will i again i don't know i don't know how this movie is going to play here i don't know there seems to be some pushback over i mean it doesn't seem like the interest overseas right now is as strong as you would expect maybe again because it's an it's a westernized you know kung fu movie so maybe there's going to be natural push back to China, who's certainly not the most open people or a market of all time. Uh, not all by their choice necessarily as in the individuals there, but by what the government does. But it just, I don't know. I don't i don't feel strongly attached to this project. I i just like the Eternals. I, I'm still more interested in this project than the Eternals, even though I will be willing to bet you when we finally get the first trailer for the Eternals, it would be much more interesting than this trailer. <laughs> uh i do think it'll 
at least visually we'll be we'll we'll have stuff to a lot of stuff to talk about when we finally get the first teaser quote unquote from the Eternals. It again it, that that those are my real thoughts on it. It's not. I mean, I like Michelle Yo. I mean, I think uh, I like her. So the cast, for the most part, leaving out the Aquafina thing, I kind of like the cast. I I can I can get a cool kind of vibe off of the actors and actresses. I think it could be could be could be a fun movie, but it certainly it certainly did not amp up my enthusiasm for it. And if you're not either a fan of kung fu movies or the MCU to begin with, it's like oh, it's an MCU movie. I don't know how much how well that was going to play to the any everybody else, you know, the mainstream audience, if you will, who's not doesn't fall into that category or the fraction of the art of the audience these days that isn't, you know, at least an MCU fan. I mean, probably a smaller portion of Kung Fu fans. But if you don't fall into either one of those groups, I don't know if this trailer, uh, this teaser trailer alone would make you think, oh, yeah, I have to go see this. But I think I think I expect there to be some sort of a. Uh connection in the film to the MCU that we are uh, aware of already uh, that we've seen. And there probably will be, uh, but you're uh, right. If, if I can finish real quick. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I just think, I just hope that there's more than one because I want there. T- I think, I think in, I think in terms of the trailers for this film, they need to put something in one of these trailers in the lead up to the release of this film that's going to make people go, oh, I recognize that character. OK, I'll go see this movie. But then there'd be another, you know, sort of character in the film that they also recognize that wasn't spoiled in the trailer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think I want multiple touch points to the to the Marvel Universe for but for two different reasons. And um but I, I, I also kind of think it sucks that we, you know, given the the track record of the MCU, that we would even need that to get people interested in this stuff. But I mean, at the same time, with the pandemic and everything that's gone on, we're sort of everything was put on hiatus. And it's not to say that people forgot about the Marvel Universe. It's just like, you know, it, it wasn't hitting them as much anymore. Uh, one after the other, after the other, after the other, that they just uh, came to expect you know, oh, uh, it's it's the the Marvel movie of the year. I guess I'll go see it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that I think the ties to the M- MCU are pretty pretty important because of the fact when you re- when you when you really break it down that again this comes back to that decision comes back to that decision they made with with this release schedule and it may very well by luck of the draw even if it's aided in you know inadvertently and surprisingly by the pandemic the fact that they made a really interesting choice of the first three movies in their phase four slate. They had one movie with a character we all pretty much know and love, but it's a prequel. So the only thing that are going to come out of that besides fleshing out her character more in black widow is set is add in other elements of characters and things that we know we're going to pay off now post black widow's death. But the actual events in that movie themselves are going to have no real value or, or stakes because that, those were literally years ago in the past in, in the MCU and we know she gets out fine because we know what happens to her. We know what her, what her eventual fate is. And that's the character we know and love and everybody else we know jack shit about the Eternals are going to have ties to the MCU, but they're going to be, we don't even know when that movie takes place. And there's probably nothing in that movie that has direct ties. They'll have probably loose ties to things we've seen. But again, it's, it's, it's the tangibility of it is shaky. 
Then you have Shang-Chi, the same thing. We know it's going to tie into the Ten Rings, which ties into Iron Man and the Mandarin. But we don't know anything other than that. And we don't know. And we're not entirely sure of the time frame of when it takes place. And some people have said it takes place between Infinity War and Endgame. Some, uh, either way, it's, it's an interesting choice, again, to come up with, to launch two of these movies that are complete roll of the dice. Uh, or rolls of the dice. It's like it, you, it's just shaky, but it may work out better for them than it would have normally because people are just desperate for MCU stuff. So that, so it may very well work out even better than it would have before. But it still was a really interesting decision when they could have, they could have at least had two of the three be things people you knew people were interested in seeing and then roll the dice on one of them. So I think the ties are important. I think because people are used to that. If for no other reason, people are used to that, this cohesive universe that when even if things are out of order that we're getting, like we got in the MCU often where certain movies take place in the past and other movies take, you know, that came other movies that came out first actually take place later in the timeline. That the reality is we know they fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. And now it's like people are expecting that. And you're just kind of getting like four corner pieces or three corner pieces now. And it's like you don't know where it's how they're all going to connect together and where it's going to go. Yeah. So I th- I agree. So I do agree with you that I think the lack that having that connectivity, I think, is important. And I don't think it can be undervalued that, oh, after the, all this time, do we need that? It's like, yeah, we need it because people expect it. And if you completely go, if you completely take the MCU in a different direction after the first 10 years, and I don't mean based on focal points of characters, because clearly we know they're doing that. But if you if you change the, the way you're storytelling, along with changing in pushing to the back burner so many of the characters that we know and spent time with, then that's a that that's doubling your risk. And, you know, it's like beating a dead horse, but eventually Marvel is going to come up snake eyes and it's not going to work. It's going to be craps and it's going to end up being craps and it's not, and it's just, it just has to happen. So it hasn't happened yet, but we know, we know at some point it almost has. Yeah. All right. Anything else? No, I think we got a lot out of this. All right. Well, if people want to reach out to us, how do they do so? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. The voicemail is 708lantern, so you can text or leave a voicemail to let us know what you think. Facebook, Twitter, use hashtag geocast to track us down there. And last but not least, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Whichever platform or platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. All right. And next week, what are we talking? Green Lantern number two? That is probably the plan, yes. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.